0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So we had spoken last time uh, in the series about the um, the Holy Scriptures. Uh, we spoke about uh, the biblical interpretation and how that it's very important for us that when we read the Bible, that we read it with an understanding. Uh, and, and And that understanding sometimes is not clear and obvious. Sometimes we... Sometimes what is kind of what we would consider the, the first understanding or interpretation that we would have about something isn't necessarily what is actually the true meaning. And so we spoke about how all throughout the history of the church, uh, there have been the need for people to explain and expand and expound on what is it that the scripture is actually saying. We spoke about the importance of the early church fathers, of the practice of the early church, and so on. We stopped here uh, at this uh, two schools of biblical interpretation. There's different ways that people interpret the scripture, and we'll look at examples of both ways. Um, There is what's called the school of Antioch, and the school here is not talking about like a building or or like a physical school. It's more of like the philosophy, like the school is in the the style, the technique, the way of, of interpretation. There is the school of Antioch, and there is the school of Alexandria. The school of Antioch is uses what's more of a literal historical interpretation of the Bible. So they tend to look at the scripture and the stories in the scripture at face value and say this is what happened, right? And this is the moral lessons we can learn. Here are the you know the historical events that happen and so on. The school of Alexandria, of which the Coptic Church is is a part, um doesn't deny the historical and the literal understanding of the scripture, but it also applies kind of a deeper meaning to things, okay? Uh, to look at something in an allegorical way, as a story, as having symbolism, and how that symbolism is, is uh, kind of maybe reflecting a, a greater lesson, right? Something that is beyond the literal words, but something that represents something else. Right. And and that God is communicating to us through these stories and through these events, something deeper than what is just at face value um, in in the writing. Okay, so the School of Antioch was a Christian theological institution in Syria. This is why it's called the School of Antioch, because it's kind of its basis is there um, in Syria. Traditionally founded in about 200 A.D. that stressed the literal interpretation of the Bible and the completeness of Christ's humanity. Flourishing in the 4th to 6th century, the school of Antioch produced several significant theologians, including one of the most famous of which is St. John Chrysostom. Right. So St. John Chrysostom, if you're familiar with his writings, okay, he was a patriarch of Constantinople. Um, he has very, very, very like, rich writings, very many writings about many subjects. When you read his writings, one thing that, that kind of strikes you is all of his writings are related to like things like morality. Like he'll tell you, this is how you should behave, this is how, how you should not behave, this is how you should act, this is how you should live, this is, you know? and using examples from the scripture, of course, to, um, to support what is it that he is saying. Okay? He is of the school of Antioch. So many of his, of his writings are, are focused on practical application, practical life, based on examples of things that happen in the scripture, um, and so on. The School of Alexandria, on the other hand, was the first Christian institution of higher learning founded in the mid-2nd century AD in Alexandria. So actually, the the School of Alexandria predates the School of Antioch. Under its earliest known leaders, Pentinus, St. Clement, and Origen, it became a leading center of the allegorical method of biblical interpretation the theologians of the school of alexandria adopted the allegorical interpretation of the old testament okay so that means that when they would read the old testament they read it not just as uh like literally here are the stories and the events but what do they mean what is a deeper insight that we could gain by looking deeper into the story they did not depreciate or abolish the literal, the literal or historical meaning, but identified the hidden and spiritual meanings in the text. Okay, what are some of the roles of of these traditions in the Bible? Okay, um, sorry, yeah. Christ interpreted allegorically the brazen serpent. So here's some examples: the brazen serpent. What is the brazen serpent? Okay. The brazen serpent was uh, something that happened in Numbers chapter 21 to Moses. Who God had sent like a plague in the people. And, and, and God said to Moses to have this bronze serpent that he would hold. And everyone who would see this bronze serpent. So there was these snakes that were like had bit people and they were poisoned and they were dying. Okay, So he said to Moses, have this bronze serpent. And everyone who looks upon this bronze serpent on this pole will be saved, okay? So it says, so Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So this is an event that happened in the Old Testament. And there's no explanation as to why. Like, why, if there are serpents that are biting people and they're being poisoned and dying from the serpent's bite, why is it that God would ask Moses to make a bronze serpent, right, and everyone who looks at that serpent would be healed from the venom of the serpents. It seems kind of a strange thing, right? You can take that as on literal. Okay, that's what happened. That's what that's what God said to do, and we're going to do what God said. Okay, but in this case, Christ Himself, right? gave an exposition about this. So he mentioned it in John, thir- in John chapter 3. He says, And um, as, as Moses lifted up the, br- the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what does that bronze serpent represent? The bronze serpent represents Christ himself, who was lifted up on the cross. And why is it a serpent? Because Christ is the one who bore the sin of the world on himself. So just as sin was the cause of death, in everyone right as though they are getting bitten by these serpents and dying because of the sin that they committed Christ took the sin on himself so he is also represented as a serpent but he is a serpent that is lifted up and everyone who looks at him is actually saved and delivered from the the the, the death of the of the of the poison of the serpent this is why if you are familiar whenever you see the bishop come um, in into the liturgy you might see sometimes a deacon who is holding this bronze serpent with like this red ribbon uh, behind the bishop wherever he goes right why because the bishop is the representative of christ okay and as a representative of christ he represents salvation and so, just as here Christ said about himself, that he is the fulfillment of that symbol in the Old Testament, that he will be lifted up on the cross, and everyone who looks to him, who looks to Christ, will be saved. So also we have the bronze serpent in the church whenever the bishop is here, so that it's like he is a representation of Christ, that we, we remember this story. Okay? So this is an example of an allegorical interpretation, something that the Bible itself explains. Right, there are some things where in the Bible, like something will happen in the Old Testament. There's really not any explanation as to like what this means, but then later on, maybe in the New Testament, uh, Christ or uh, or Saint Paul, one of the apostles, refers back to an event that happened in the Old Testament and says, "Hey, this is what it actually means. This is the significance of it." So we see the allegorical interpretation is not something that you know human beings invented. No, it's actually something that the way that God wrote the Scripture includes these allegories, includes these symbolic events that God communicates to us through these stories, right, that maybe have multiple layers of meaning. Christ also compared himself with Jonah the prophet, okay? He said, um, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Right? So what does it mean? Okay. So he's saying one of the symbols behind Jonah, the prophet. So again, if you read the book of Jonah and you're like, okay, well, why did God allow Jonah to be swallowed by a fish? Like that's not anything that's ever happened to anyone, even in the Bible. Why in this specific situation? did God allow Jonah the prophet to be swallowed by a fish and to be in there for three days under the ocean, right? So here Christ is giving us some insight. He's saying Jonah was a symbol of himself, right? That just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What is, the, what is this referring to? First, to after he died, before his resurrection, Right? For three days and three nights, we believe that Christ went into Hades to free those people who were in Hades. Right, And then three days later, he rose, and he was seen, and people saw his resurrected body. Right, So those period of three days, Right, whenever we try to understand it, what does it mean that the Lord Christ died for three days and he was in the belly of the earth? Well, we think to the story of Jonah. We say, well, just as Jonah also was in the belly um, for three days and three nights. Okay, And he's saying just as uh, Jonah went and he preached to the, s- to the people of Nineveh and they repented, so also now a greater than Jonah is here. So if the, the whole city of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah right at the time after he came up from the whale from the from the great fish so now after i now christ has come up and resurrected so it is through his resurrection through the establishment of the church that the whole world will repent not just one city but the whole world will repent of their sins again it's an allegory it's a story something that happened in the old testament that again when you read it without any context you might not think much of it you might or you might be confused by it Right? But the allegorical interpretation says, no, there's a deeper meaning. Right, There's something beyond just the word itself. Here's some more examples. Allegory can also be applied to cleaning out of the old leaven at the Passover to indicate Christ's community, Christian community's purity. What does it mean? In the Old Testament, okay, in the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and the, the Feast of the Passover that God had instituted in the book of Exodus, he told the people remove all leaven from the house do, and when you eat bread eat it without leaven make the bread without leaven and do not have leaven in the house leaven is yeast so 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 don't have any yeast at all and at the time he wasn't really explained like like what is it what is the significance of the leaven why is it you don't want us to have yeast in the house and so on he says in Exodus 12, 15, 7 days you shall eat unleavened bread On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Does God hate yeast? Like is it because he's against yeast? That yeast is evil? That he is saying do not eat any yeast? No, it is a symbol. It represents something. Okay? And it is explained by St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. Meaning meaning that if you have a lump of bread and you put even a little bit of leaven in it, the whole bread will become leavened, right? So he's saying like a little bit of pride will bring pride to the whole church. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our passover was sacrificed for us therefore let us keep the feast not with the old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth so leaven represented sin and when god told the people to remove leaven from the house it was a symbol saying remove sin from yourselves be pure in in practicing this feast like be be pure and blameless right in the way that you live your lives again leaven is a symbol so this is allegorical interpretation Another example, St. Paul compares Adam with Christ, okay? It says, nevertheless, in Romans 5, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of, of him who was to come. Who is Adam representing? Adam is representing Christ. This is why we say that Christ is the second Adam. Just as through one man sin entered into the world, who is Adam, so also through one man are all people saved, that sin is removed, that sin is erased. St. Paul also likens Sarah and Hagar to the Old and the New Covenants. So we know the story of Sarah and Hagar in the Old Testament where Abraham wanted to have a son. Sarah was old. He didn't believe that Sarah could bear children, so he went into his um, into his maid, Hagar. He had a child with her Okay, uh, who, whose name was Ishmael and then later on he was able to have a child with sarah and his name was isaac okay so now we have these two children the one child with sarah isaac and the one child with hagar ishmael okay and 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 the 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 ishmael and hagar were rejected and they were cast away they were cast out because Isaac was the son that was promised by God and he was the son of promise and it was through him that the covenant was established and he is w- the ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was through Isaac that the Lord Jesus Christ was born. That was the fulfillment of the covenant that God had made with them, okay? So, Christ, so um, here St. Paul, he's looking at this story of Sarah and Hagar, the two mothers, okay? One of them representing the old covenant, Hagar, one of them representing the new covenant, which is Sarah. okay, And he is using this example. He says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. The bondwoman is Hagar, the free woman is Sarah. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. How was Ishmael born according to the flesh? He was born according to the flesh because she was able to bear children. So it was a natural birth. She was able to bear children. She became pregnant and she had her, her son and and there was nothing supernatural about it it was uh it was um it was according to the flesh and he of the free woman through the promise why because sarah was so old and her her womb was barren and there was no natural way for her to be able to bear children so the fact that she bore a child it wasn't through natural means it was according to the promise it was because god um decided for it to be so not because it was a natural means for a woman to give birth, which things are symbolic. He says even this story of what happened with Sarah and Hagar is symbolic of something that was to come later. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage. This is the old covenant represented by Hagar, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children but the jerusalem above is free which is the mother of us all he's comparing what essentially the the jewish the jewish covenant with the christian covenant he's saying through the jewish covenant through the old covenant there is no salvation because it is through uh only through the obedience to the law of moses that there is salvation in the old covenant and there was no way that anyone could be saved because no one could follow the old covenant No one could follow all the laws of sacrifices, of cleanliness, of fasting, of all the laws of the Old Testament that God had commanded for the people. No one could follow it. That was the Old Covenant. And so through it was bondage because Hagar was not a free woman. She was a bondwoman, right? She was a servant. She was not free. Sarah, however, was a free woman, okay? She was the wife of Abraham. And it was through him that she had Isaac, who was a representative of Christ, And it was through Christ that the new covenant was established, which granted us salvation through the grace of God and not through the literal following of the commandments of the law. Okay, So I know that's a lot of stuff to say. um, What I'm trying to say is that there is allegory. Okay, There is allegory. The the things that happened long, long ago, even though at the time there was no mention whatsoever of any allegorical understanding of these events— But later on, looking back at them, whether Christ or the apostles or the church fathers look back and say, no, this is the meaning behind it. This is a deeper understanding of what was being said. Here are some things that the church fathers say. Origin, he said, Rebecca. Rebecca is um, the wife of Isaac. Rebecca came to draw water from the well. And because she went every day, It was possible for her to be found by Abraham's servant and to be married to Isaac. You think that these are myths and that the Holy Spirit only records history and the scriptures? Here is an instruction for the soul and spiritual teaching, which instructs you to come daily to the wells of scriptures. All that has been written points to mysteries. Christ wishes to wed you too, and for that reason sends his servant to you. This servant is the word of the prophets. You cannot be wed to Christ if you have not first received them. So what is he saying? He's taking the story of how Isaac became married to Rebekah. Isaac became married to Rebekah because Abraham sent a servant to go and find a wife for his son Isaac. And he went to this place where there were these wells. And Rebekah would go out every day to fetch water from the well. And unless she had gone out at that moment when the servant of Abraham was there, he would not have met her, he would not have found her, and he, he, he would not have brought her to marry Abraham's son Isaac. Okay? So here Origen is making an allegorical understanding of the story. He's saying, how can we understand this in a spiritual way? Okay? So he's saying what uh, she went every day. Okay? Uh, you think that these are myths and that the Holy Spirit only records history. No, he's saying the Holy Spirit is not just talking about historical event that happened. There is a spiritual understanding. Here is instruction for the soul and spiritual teaching, which instructs you to come daily to the wells of Scripture. So He says the wells represent one, like the Word of God. Come to the well. Come to the word of God. Come to the place of understanding. Come to the place where you will be filled and nourished. As Christ Himself said that He is the fountain of the living water. When the Samaritan woman came to the well, so that she could draw water, He said, "Why do you come to the well when I am the fountain? Come to Me, and you will never have any shortage um, of water." So He's saying, Christ also wants to wed us, just as I as Isaac was to wed Rebecca. So Christ wants to wed us. He wants us to come to the well so that we can be wed to him, just as when Rebecca came to the well and she became wed to Isaac. This is, again, another example of allegorical interpretation. St. Ambrose, he has this famous explanation for the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay, I think many of us are familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan pretty much is a parable that the Lord Christ gave when he was asked, who is my neighbor? Right when, when he was saying the greatest commandment, and it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So somebody asked him, so who is my neighbor? You're saying that I need to love my neighbor as myself. Who is my neighbor? So he then said this parable that we now know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in this parable, you had this man uh, who was coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, and He was walking down the road he was uh, attacked by thieves and he and they robbed him and they left him for dead on the road and it so happened that there was a priest that came by and a Levite that came by and they left the man for dead they didn't help him but then the third person to come by was the Samaritan man and the Samaritans are the enemies of the Israelites but even though this Samaritan man is an enemy he still showed kindness to this Israelite and he, 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 he took care of him. He cared for his wounds. He put him on his donkey. He took him to the inn. He paid money to the innkeeper to take care of him. And then he left and said, when I come again, I will take care of the rest of his needs. That was the parable. And so when Christ said the story, the focus of the story was, this is how you are a good neighbor. You want to be a good neighbor? Do likewise. This is how you serve one another. This is how you are a good neighbor. The church fathers took this parable and said there is a deeper meaning as well, okay? This is what Saint Ambrose says about this. He says for Jericho is a figure of this world, to which Adam cast forth from paradise, the heavenly Jerusalem, because of sin descended. So what does he say? This man who was mugged on the road, what does he represent? He represents all of humanity, okay? And he started out in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of God, which represents heaven, and it's up on a mountain. And then the man who is descending this mountain to the city of Jericho, which represents the fall of man. This man who was created in, in, in perfection in the city of God, he fell. Okay? And, he, and now that he is walking on the road, okay, what happens? For he was far changed from that Adam who had lived in untroubled blessedness. When he descended to earthly sinfulness and fell among robbers, and he would not have fallen among them had he not exposed himself to them, through turning away from what God had laid down for him. So he has now fallen into sin, this this man who represents all of us, represents um, all of humanity. Who are these robbers if not the angels of night and of darkness who will at times change themselves into angels of light but cannot remain so these first of all strip us of the garments of spiritual grace which we received and this is how we are able how they are able to wound us you say who are these robbers they are the demons they're the ones who tempt us they're the ones who attack us they're the ones who make us to instead of wanting to follow after God but to follow our own sinful desires and they leave us what broken and unharmed on the road kind of cast aside for had we p- persevered preserved the unstained garments we received we could not feel the blows of the robbers in him all mankind would have been slain had not this samaritan descending taken care of his grievous wounds. so this man then um came uh, uh, well so the first one who came is who like the priest The priest represents the Old Testament priesthood, okay? He's the one who first walked by this man who was uh, beaten on the road. This man could not save the wounded man because the Old Testament priesthood cannot save. The second one who came is the Levite representing the law. The law also could not save. This man just walked right by him, could not save him. The third one who came is the Samaritan. The Samaritan represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ showed him kindness and mercy. He put him on his donkey. He took him to the inn. The inn represents the church. And he paid money for him to be taken care of. And then he said, I'm leaving, but I will return. Just as the Lord Christ said that I am leaving, but then I will come back again. Okay, so you see that there are parallels in this parable of the Good Samaritan to the story of salvation, starting from the fall of man, the, 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 the work of Satan, the work of Christ, the, the, the work of the church, even the, the, the second coming of Christ again. All these things we find in this parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and again, when you read it, just without really thinking about any of these things, it just sounds like a simple story. The story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. But we know here that the church fathers expounded on it and gave us a deeper meaning. So this is just an example just to give you a flavor of some of the types of allegorical interpretations that the school of Alexandria, the fathers of the church of Alexandria, um, discuss and speak about. So whenever we read any of the church fathers, when you read Alexandrian fathers, they focus so much on these types of things to kind of reveal hidden mysteries and hidden things for us to benefit from um, in the scriptures, whether the Old Testament or or, or also the, the New Testament. So these are two of the styles of biblical interpretation. We spoke about the school of Antioch, which was a more literal understanding, um and then the school of Alexandria, which was the more allegorical um understanding. Any questions? Yes, of course. <laughs> so I, there there are the, the, all of the fathers before the 5th century are are shared between the two of us. So it's not that they reject these understandings, but that is, um, that is not that's that's not their their typical style of of looking into it. But they don't reject it. They don't reject it. Yeah, because we, we the the school of Antioch, the fathers before the the schism that happened in the fifth century, they are also our fathers, and and the the fathers, the Alexandrian fathers, are also their fathers. But but. Based on kind of like the style or the the area they, they, they thought about the scriptures in a certain way, and so they they had a kind of a common way of interpreting based on the region that they were from but no we don't re- just, uh, we don't reject their interpretations either um, but but they just have, they have different styles no, they don't reject that they, they don't reject it. So a lot of what we speak about interpretations, what are they? They are meditations, right? A meditation is how can I read um, the scripture and and find some beautiful symbolic meanings in it, okay? So that's what a lot of the church fathers do, is they find beautiful meanings inside a lot of these um, historical events. So... Not every allegorical interpretation, like for instance, some of these that I spoke about were like Hagar and Sarah, right? That is very like baked in, you know? It's like like this is what was the intended meaning and understanding or Jonah and the belly of the fish, right? But there are a lot of in- allegorical interpretations that are meditations. So people come with meditations and fathers all throughout history come up with different meditations. It's It's not the same thing as saying like, okay, this is necessarily the intended meaning from the beginning but this is a way for us to benefit from it we read something just like when we read the scripture we say how can we benefit from this it's a personal message that we receive and and we also find these kinds of messages and allegorical un- un- understandings um, in the scripture like the book of revelation for instance many people will read the book of revelation and they will say okay well I think this this could mean this and this could mean that They are again allegorical understandings of the book of revelation and not everybody says exactly the same thing so yes we can understand it it's not like there's one way and that's it yes yes so the writings of the church fathers there's many 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 different kinds of writings from many different people some of the writings were about a specific topic and some of the writings were specifically commentary on scripture but most of them were not commentary like most of them were not like you know saint john chrysostom or he's going to say i'm going to write to you about this entire book of the bible and go verse by verse and explain what it means typically that's not what you will find when we try to find the writings of the church fathers what you'll find is They're writing about some topic, and then in the middle of all of the writings, they will mention this verse and this verse and this verse and and bring all these different kind of things together. So one way to read the Church Fathers is to read the books of the Fathers, and in that, based on the topics that you're interested in, and you will find a lot of this stuff. But if you're very interested in wanting to understand specifically, the, the, the biblical interpretation understanding let's say of a specific verse there are like anthologies which essentially take all of the writings of the church fathers and they break them up according to verse and then they will say here are the writings of the fathers about this specific verse and so I mentioned last week that there is a, 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 an app and a website called Katina Bible right so if you want to he- read specific quotes and sayings of church fathers about a specific verse that's the best way to do it Because you go there, you see the whole Bible, you click on any verse you want, and you see many, many quotes from different church fathers, and you'll find the the literal interpretations, you'll find the allegorical interpretations, um, and, and these things. So that's what I would recommend for this. But there's also benefit in reading an entire work by a church father. So like, on marriage and family life. It's a book speaking about marriage and family life. And to read to understand. So what does he write about? So it's reading a whole book of the Father, not just like quotes here or there, right? And and, and, and so there's another one he's called On Wealth and Poverty, right? Um, there, there are many different, like St. Athanasius who wrote On the Incarnation, speaking about the Incarnation of Christ. So there's value in reading a book about that the Church Fathers wrote about a specific topic, and there's also value in finding the specific quotations regarding a specific verse in the Bible to help understand um, the verse. Yes. Volumes. So there are different, there's different um, anthologies. There's the, the blue one you're talking about is called, I think, the Church Fathers. And they have like over 100 volumes. Okay. And they have the full writings of many, many fathers, which are, those are very good. Um, there's uh, there's smaller ones. there's one called ancient Ch- uh, Church writers. there's one called uh, uh, th- there's another anthology series called um, uh, it escapes my mind right now but but the the nice thing about the Katina is it it, it takes from all of those and it, it puts them in a digital resource that's free. okay so I, I have the Church Fathers series. And so, whenever you want to read something kind of at length, that's that's the best place to go and just find. Hey, what did I want to read a book by? So and so saint uh, wrote about this topic or wrote about this subject. I just want to read the whole book. You know, you can read it as a book. But if you want to understand specifically, hey, what does this verse mean? Or what did the church think about this specific thing? Then those um, like the Katina app is is probably the best way to find it quickly. Because if you try to find the equivalent thing in the, all those books, it'll be hard to find it'll be hard to find yeah okay okay let's pray in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit one god amen we thank you O lord for this day we ask for your blessing O lord in all things we ask O god that you be with us and you protect us and you lead us O lord to heaven your, to your heavenly kingdom through the prayers of saint mary archangel michael saint paul saint mark and all your saints